Too much, probably it will, you know, get it on here. That's what we get there. Again. Okay. So how's everyone this evening? Good. So, all right. So I got a question. First question was uh, submitted um, in our new system. And I thought I'd address it. And uh, the question is, what is the difference between exclusive devotion and religious extremism or fundamentalism? And it's a it's a good question, given the um, Appalling manifestations of religious extremism we uh, experience in the world today. <clears throat> and it's also a good question in that the, um, the Bhagavad Gita, which is one of our main texts, of course, advocates exclusive devotion. Throughout the Gita, the, uh, that idea is the is repeated mm-hmm. uh, it's the theme that's repeated throughout the book in different places which is one of the ways by which we determine what a book is about we look at the beginning we look at the end the introduction the conclusion there should be some correspondence what's repeated throughout is another um, element if you will in determining the uh, the essence of the text. So, there are other criterion also uh, from, this is from ancient times, the way to understand the text. But, um, again, occurring throughout and with different words, ananya bhakti, ananya, no other, hmm, um, is uh, uh, an example, this term is used. At the conclusion of the Gita, we find this, of course, um, in, in what's one of the more the famous verses of the Gita, Sarvadharman Pritajama may come. Only me, Krishna says, take shelter only of me. So there is uh, a strong uh, advocacy and emphasis on exclusive devotion uh, in the part of, on the part of Krishna speaking in the Gita, in the Bhagavatam, of course, theological sequel to the Gita, the same thing, exclusive devotion. So we can we could talk about it in relation to our particular uh, tradition, the bhakti tradition, and we could talk about it, I suppose, in a broader sense. Hmm. And I think to start start there might be good. In the broader 
sense. Um, I think that exclusive devotion or, and here I don't necessarily mean bhakti, but uh, the dedication, and there's a difference, of course. Bhakti is otherworldly. Bhakti, as we know from the commentaries of the Goswamis, Bhakti Samhita Sindhu, Shijiva Goswami, um, uh, and from amongst the founding acharyas, that Bhakti is constituted of Krishna's internal energy, or his sarup shakti. So it's uh, it's the, the the power, the influence, the, the engine that drives the lila, and the maya shakti is the engine driving the uh, uh, the karmic realm. Mm. <coughs> Bhakti, therefore, is more than our effort. We have to apply ourselves in relation to the opportunity that presents itself, which is an act of grace. Mm. And it presents itself as an opportunity, and it's a structured opportunity. In other words, it, 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 it's it's constituted of something. What is bhakti? What is not bhakti? And here we're talking about the term used by Jiva Rupa Goswami in, in where he defines bhakti in bhakti asamrita sindhu uttam bhakti. In the Gita we find different types, shades of bhakti and so forth, but the advocacy is ananya bhakti or uttam bhakti. Same, same idea. Exclusive devotion. And to Krishna or the different avatars of Krishna, manifestations of Krishna. <clears throat> and it's made up of certain uh, angas, the body of bhakti, certain limbs, hearing, chanting, hmm, meditating on Vishnu, and so on and so forth. Hmm? So it's something very specific and not just the general idea of dedication. You have to be dedicated to accomplish anything um, that's true. You have to put some effort into it. And we have to put some effort into bhakti. When Rupa Goswami defines bhakti, anyabhilashi tashunyam, gyan karmadi anabhitam, anukulena krishnanu shilam bhakti rutam. Um, he describes it as anukulena krishnanu shilam, an ongoing culture of acts and the emotions that arise out of them that are, that are pleasing Krishna, favorable to him. Hmm? So that it's an ongoing culture means that, uh, that, that the will that the jiva to some extent is constituted of, his unit of, is, has, to be exp- has to express itself in relation to the, the opportunity that presents itself, in other words, the, the grace hmm, of the Godhead's reaching out to us. And, and in, he does so, of course, through his devotees who are considered manifestations of his his compassion, his Kripa Shakti, so on. So there's some uh, difference here between the general idea of dedication, which mean, especially means you have to put your effort into it, uh, and you have to pay attention and so forth to be successful in any particular field. Hmm? Um, so with regard to different paths that aren't the paths of bhakti, but are religious paths, um, of course, there are there are a number of them, and um, at the same time, 
I think that the heart of them, if you will, is very similar, or let's say that there's, there's considerable common ground between them. Mm-hmm. And And here I'm referring to religious paths or spiritual traditions that, to use a term I often invoke, are ego-effacing. That, on the one side, at least, are focused on eradicating the small-mindedness and the exploitive tendencies within us that um, constitute kind of the call of, of the sense objects for our attention, time, energy, focus, um, in such a way that our life becomes defined by answering that call. And so to step back from that and, and starve out if you will, this uh, exploitive taking ego, the taking tendency in us. And um, this is the kind of the baseline of uh, mystic experience in all the world's great spiritual traditions. And religious or spiritual experience... When we speak about that, we're speaking about moving beyond that um, conventional egoic sense of self. And so then, of course, there are many people that that speak about religious experiences with no idea of this um, ego-effacingness that we're we're talking about and so forth. But in those... uh, claims a religious experience, we do not find the kind of common ground that we find in amongst the mystics of the various traditions. And so that's why a lot of people think religions, one religion says this, another religion says that, God told me to do this, God told me to kill the, uh, you know, the Christians, and uh, maybe, uh, uh, or a Hindu, God told me to kill the Muslims, or uh, these types of things. Um, so that uh, kind of is where we, we draw the line ourselves, at least, and I think it's reasonable, between genuine spiritual experience and often our imagination, which it manifests in such ways that it goes against the very heart of... <coughs> Uh, sacred text, like you take the Christian text of the Bible, love your neighbor like yourself. Well, at least that's <laughs> there you go, right there, and that's supposed to be one of. The, and, and your God, the God with your heart and soul, something like these two are the laws of the new the New Testament, replacing the laws of the Old Testament, replacing them by way I would imagine of because if you love your neighbor like yourself, you're not going to steal from your neighbor, you're not going to covet your neighbor's wife uh, uh, or kill or so forth, which is. Uh, uh, means that the, the Ten Commandments are fulfilled by these two and and something something more. So it's an example in that tradition, and um, and so this is the kind of common ground 
we find in different religious traditions, out of which there are few but but enough mystics to get some real sense of the basic idea of religious uh, experience. And so there are different uh, spiritual traditions. And amongst these spiritual traditions, I believe, each of the um, founders, the Buddha, for example, um, the Christ, the uh, Shankar, amongst the monists, um, uh, Ramanuja, amongst the Vaishnavas, uh, we're speaking of Krishna and the, and the Chaitanya Bhakti tradition of ourselves, you do find an emphasis on exclusive dedication and commitment. Again, I'm differentiating this from bhakti when I say commitment, dedication, but exclusive dedication to the path. Hmm? And I think that that uh, um, is understandable because if we find a certain tradition and path attractive, how can we expect to be successful in pursuing the path unless we pay attention to it and um, commit uh, commit ourselves to it. And um, it's, after all, speaking about the, the greatest accomplishment, hmm? it's a non, it's almost a non-accomplishment accomplishment, uh, <laughs> because we already are, from the mystical perspective, the units of Satchitananda, and realize what we are when you come to bhakti, there's something more. But, but at any rate, it's a great, great challenge, right? It's a great, the greatest um, adventure, if you will. It's to change your whole angle of vision from being a taker to being a non-taker and ultimately a, a giver in the bhakti traditions. So, each of the paths um, advocate. If you're going to be on this path, then you should pay attention to it, and as if it is the best path, which would be the natural conclusion of anyone who chose the path. But for me, and this is the key um, uh, caveat, I guess, for this is the best path for me. Hmm? And um, so, with that spirit in mind, we can embark upon a path, feel it is the best, give exclusive devotion to it. But when we say it's the best path for me, we may acknowledge that there may be other paths that are better for 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 others. Hmm? And so, in this simple sense in which I'm talking about it, um, broader sense, it seems reasonable that exclusive commitment to a path is understandable, natural, to be expected. Hmm? Um, and at the same time, it does not have to it, that that um, expectation and that advocacy does not constitute religious um, extremism hmm? and fanaticism. The difference being that exclusive devotion to a path that constitutes religious extremism and fanaticism is one that does not acknowledge that there are other paths for others, so it's uh, in the name of exclusive devotion to a particular path, it's at war often with other paths. 
And um, it's unfortunate that, um, well, it's, I guess it would be interesting to note that between the, the Western, for example, Abrahamic traditions and the Eastern traditions, one of the basic differences is this sense of exclusivity and inclusivity. Hmm. So, inclusivity, inclusiveness. Hmm. So the Eastern paths tend to be more inclusive by their very nature, and the Abrahamic uh, traditions tend to be more exclusive. Hmm. Not that there aren't um, fanatics in the East and West alike, no doubt um, there are. But if we look at the core of the paths, um, I think that's maybe perhaps a fair uh, assessment. Um, So, exclusive devotion to a dedication, let's say, to a a path um, that is uh, uh, applied in such a way that it does not dismiss the other paths and the experience of others as opposed to exclusive devotion of a path that does not see any other viable path and even is at war with them is, is kind of a base, basic uh, divide. In our Vaishnava tradition, our Gaudiya Vaishnava tradition, we know that Bhaktivinoda um, made a statement uh, and invoked a, a term, Saragrahi Vaishnav, Saragrahi and Barabahi. So Barabahi means who literally who carries a heavy load. Mm-hmm. And Saragrahi means who's uh, an essence seeker. Mm-hmm. And so his idea was that there are those identified with a particular spiritual tradition that in their commitment to it and identification to it, they do not they're not able to identify with the essence, but m- m- more or mostly with the externals that are different from other paths. Hmm. And um, as a result, they uh, don't see the value in other paths, whereas the Saragrahi that he himself exemplified um, is perhaps... Uh, Nasty described by his own statement when he said that when I go into a different um, temple or church or chapel, what may be the good case, in a different tradition, and I see the worship there, I think, oh, they're worshiping him this way here. Hmm? How interesting. Hmm? He's accepting um, praise, whatnot, whatnot and, and, and sincere approach on the part of the uh, practitioners in different ways, in different places, appearing in different cultures, and so on and so forth. So this is the Saragrahi Vaishnav idea. So at the same time, we find statements of Bhagavad that are very extreme, like hmm, anyone who's not a servant of Radha, uh, I don't want to see his face, something like that. Hmm. So this is then the exclusive devotion on the very and this is in the context of bhakti itself on a very high end hmm? 
and uh, this, this is a kind of moment of of uh, of bhava and the exclusivity, for example, of Radha's handmaidens and their dedication to her over the opposition party in the uh, in the leela of of, of Chandrabali and so forth. Um, so you can't take a statement like that of Bhakti Vinod and and, uh, and voice it um, without those types of transcendental emotions, insight, and experience, and so forth, and um, and be saying the same thing that he is, as some people may do, in the name of exclusive devotion, and um, and use such an expression to be at odds with other traditions. Now we have differences from different mystical traditions. That's very, very clear. Um, but we do acknowledge that ego-effacing traditions have some um, efficacy. At the same time, um, we, following the sacred text, the revelation of of the Hindus, and considering the Bhagavatam for good reason to be the essence of that, we do find there um, a number of statements as to the effect that without bhakti, and this is, again, more than just dedication or commitment to a particular path, without bhakti herself hmm, um, being involved in the path, there is no... uh, The path will not be efficacious in terms of... um, affording one a permanent standing beyond uh, the um, the uh, karmic the realm of karmic bondage mm-hmm. um, but then we should break that down a, a bit and what it means is that entering that side if you will mm-hmm, um to the realm of love from the realm of explo- exploitation requires an invite. Hmm? You kind of go and bang bang down the door there, enter there, as I say, sometimes with with your shoes on. It requires a, an invitation. Hmm? Um, grace. Hmm? Um, so, it may... That's the broader type of um, uh, application, interpretation of the idea that uh, bhakti is required. For example, the sattviki bhakti, bhakti manifesting within the sattva guna. Hmm? It's not uttam bhakti, but that kind of bhakti in relation to the, the path of knowledge, jnana, will result in attaining its um, its goal. Hmm? Um But ananya bhakti in uh, uttam and uttam bhakti in our particular tradition, hmm? of course, in reference to the Gita, as I did, where, which I cited earlier, sarvadharman pritajamamekam sharanam braja, where he says only me. We have to look and see what he's talking about. The context is that uh, there are in Hinduism, of course, many gods and goddesses. Which are all um, um, uh, in one sense ways of talking about 
nature, the natural world, in terms of uh, the fact that consciousness is behind nature, drives nature, and so powerful, as it is in our case, units of consciousness are driving um, matter. We have causal efficacy, so in a larger sense, movements of nature, it all has consciousness behind it, and so the, the gods and the goddesses idea. <clears throat> this is, of course, all speaking about psychic matter, the realm of the gods and goddesses, where there are possibilities that we don't find in in, um, in, a, in a realm of physical matter. <clears throat> but the general idea of, of dharma or religion in Hinduism is to acknowledge these different gods in pursuit of different types of material betterment, improvement, acquisition, and so forth. So the gods and goddesses themselves are part of the fabric of nature and their power to bestow um, is limited to the bestowal of the bounty of of nature, material fruits and results. Hmm. Krishna, on the other hand, is, is not... A, a product of nature, but nature is a product of, of Krishna, as explained in the Gita. In other words, there is a Godhead, if you will. And, and so the advocacy in the Gita is to be, if you want, spiritual, experiential life rather than just religious life in pursuit of material betterment, material acquisition, and so on and so forth, and forego the uh, the others and exclusively dedicate yourself to me. Me, of course, could also mean Ram, hmm? Narayan, Krishna's two Bhagavan Svayam, so he's speaking, and then all the different manifestations of himself are within himself. And this corresponds with Rupa Goswami's definition of bhakti, anyabhilashita sunyam gyanakamari nabhidam anukulena krishna anushilanam. When it says krishna anushilanam, it means krishna, narayan, varaha, nisringa, and all the Vishnu avatars and so forth. Hmm. Um, but this is the idea of exclusive devotion in in the Gita. It means to um, it means to take up bhakti herself as the as as being presented in the Gita, and forego the, the the path of Dharma that involves no more than material acquisition, material improvement, material betterment, and so forth. Mm-hmm. And, and as you can see, as we're talking about it, the devotion to Krishna, who transcends, if you will, material nature, and at the same time, is the material nature, and that that is his shakti. Hmm? Devotion to him includes, if you will, devotion to the gods and goddesses, such that that it is mentioned in the Bhagavatam, one who becomes a devotee of Vishnu, all the gods and goddesses, it means all that they could possibly bestow is at such a person's um, disposal, but such a person is not interested in them. Hmm? So, 
while it's speaking about exclusive devotion to Krishna, hmm, properly understood, exclusive devotion to Krishna includes devotion to the gods and goddesses, and there are good examples of it in the Leela, hmm, as well, of course. We find the gopis worshipping Katyayani, for example. All the different gods and goddesses, all the different, are, are different names for, their names are different names for Krishna. Hmm? Um, so they are thought to be some kind of partial manifestation of himself, thus worshipping him directly is also worship them. They celebrate such, such worship, such devotion, devotion, and all that they could possibly, as I say, bestow, and more, is at the disposal of such a devotee. So even while he's saying exclusive devotion to me, we can see it's, it's inclusive. Hmm? If you worship one god in Hinduism or another god, then you're you can worship one and the other might be envious. <laughs> we see examples of this in in the Bhagavatam. But ex- exclusive devo- of course, there are examples of exclusive devotion to Krishna that make some of the gods upset too, but they become upset because muyanti atsuraya, as the Bhagavatam says at its onset. Hmm. Who Krishna is is bewildering even to the gods, but in the Bhagavatam where these examples um, are given, like the Brahma-vimohan lila, like the Govardhan Leela, where Indra becomes bewildered and so forth, the gods become enlightened hmm, as to who Krishna is as well. Hmm. They serve as vehicles to explain the position of Krishna um, to us. Hmm. And there's, a, there's, a, there's a real nice example in the uh, Prahlad Nishinga Leela, where Nishinga makes his appearance and all the gods and goddesses appear. And... Um, Acknowledge the extraordinary position of uh, Narasimha and of Prahlad in relation to him, who could pa- pacify him hmm, um, in uh, which none of the gods or goddesses could do, representing something less than than bhakti and exclusive devotion themselves. So, at any rate, exclusive devotion to Krishna in the context, for example, of the Gita and the Bhagavatam is inclusive at the same time um, with regard to the the, the, the particular statement sarvadharman prityajamane kamasarnamari give up the path of worship of the gods and goddesses for material acquisition and exercise exclusive devotion to myself then of course there's bhakti in relation to jnana and in relation to yoga and so forth these are transcendental paths the worship of the gods and goddesses is, is under the the, uh, the Rajaguna, hmm? the Karma Marg. Gyan and Yoga seek uh, transcendence. Hmm? Now, according to the, the Bhagavatam, they require some element of bhakti in order to be efficacious. Hmm? They are genuine transcendental paths. Um, and... Um, for us who are cultivating exclusive devotion to, to Sri Krishna um, we acknowledge them as such and persons may take to them because of having met a sadhu of the yogic tradition or of the gyan tradition and have some scar for it and and 
um, they may have such a samskara that they're now preoccupied with attaining Brahmasayuja, with attaining, uh, say, the optimum of, of Shantarasa through uh, Ashtanga Yoga and so forth. Uh, our position should be well, that's that there are people that do that. <laughs> And uh, it is it, these are different faces of of the Godhead. Brahmati, Paramatmati, Bhagavaniti, Shabdate. Hmm. Um, at the same time, of course, we, we we share our tradition when the opportunity presents itself, and even sharing what bhakti is about is a form of kirtan. So it it is it helps us. Uh, it is bhakti itself, so we see Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and sh- shared his bhakti with others and taught it and so on and so forth. So we make our case and create bhakti sangskars and there's possibility that someone might from the yoga marg or gyan marg come to the, come to the bhakti marg. Mm-hmm. But... Um, um, we don't have... Our, our teaching is not hmm, that if they don't come to Ananya Bhakti, everything is lost. That's not the teaching. Brahmeti, Paramatmeti, Bhagavaniti, Shabdate. These are real faces of the Absolute, hmm, and they are transcendental. Paramatma, in hmm, Vaikuntha, uh, as Bhagavan Narayan, there, hmm, from whom the avatars are coming, Mahavishnu, and so forth, the beginning of the Paramatma. Mahavishnu is the is the first manifestation of the Paramatma, which is the compassionate heart of Narayan. As we've explained, when Narayan wants to experience compassion, there needs to be a world for that. It can't be Vaikuntha. Because everyone no one needs Mukti there. So Mahavishnu is the is one sense the compassionate heart of Narayan. And then there's a world in which there's uh, uh he doesn't want to be alone, so he becomes many, and then the many are small, and the jurisdiction that he has over material nature is such that he can digest, but they cannot, and so further avatar, further descent. He's the original avatar. Krishna's the avatari. Mahavishnu is the original avatar, and the avatars, different faces of Narayan, are coming through him, showing compassion and so forth. And... Uh, and there you have it also, of course, within Vishnu Bhakti. There's Narayan Bhakti, there's Ram Bhakti, and there's Sringa Bhakti. Even within Gaudiya Bhakti, there's Vatsalya Bhakti, there's Madhurya Bhakti Rasa, Sakya Bhakti Rasa, differences and so on and so forth. Um, and while we're exclusively dedicated in the optimum with the Stai Bhav for one type of love of Krishna, certainly we honor others. So it's very unbecoming when, for example, we find this uh, sometimes we see in Gaudiya Vaishnava there's an advocacy of Manjari Bhava, which is the f- highest advocacy of of, of, the, of the ideal, of Prayojan of Gaudiya Vaishnava, but when it's used in a way to, to, to beat others over the head um, who, who, who may be influenced otherwise, even in the context of bhakti, it's very unbecoming. This is where, in the name of ex- an example, of, in the name of exclusive devotion, you 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 find extremism, religious religious extremism, and um, some 
fighting over and so on and so forth. So you can mouth the words of your guru or, for example, Bhaktivinoda Thakur, who's cited strong type of statements about dedication to Radha and so forth. But if it's just used to fight with other people, that's not what Bhaktivinoda Thakur was doing at all, right? Hmm? So, um, so, but anyway, even even um, on a lower level, let's just say there is Bhagawan, and all that that includes, from Shantarasa to to to, to Madhurya Rasa, and within Madhurya Rasa to to Parakya, within that to to the uh, um, servitude of Radha and so forth, and. And then there is the Paramatma. Well, we could say Paramatma, Vaikuntha, uh, and and then and Brahman. These are real faces of the Absolute, and they're real, and really perceived, experienced, entered into by different paths. And those paths are there in the sacred text. Astanga Yoga is there in the Bhagavad Gita in the sixth chapter. Again, in the eighth chapter, uh, the advocacy as such. It's it's it's. It's mixed with with bhakti, but so are the yoga sutras. When Ishvara Pranidhan is repeatedly mentioned, hmm? um, submission to the Ishwar, hmm? to the Godhead, um, and and the Gyan, the Gyan Marg. Hmm? Hmm? So these are real paths to real transcendental goals. Hmm? Granted, they need a little bhakti, but they aren't all paths of uttam bhakti. We may feel, in some sense, some, oh, it's too bad from our perspective that they had to enter into Brahman when they could have entered into Prem Bhakti, which is one tiny atomic particle of which is more blissful than all of Brahman combined. These are statements of advocacy of, a, of our path of Bhakti, but it is hard to quantify infinite uh, bliss and multiply it um, and so forth but 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 it is indeed speaking about greater possibilities of intimacy with with that which for example Brahman is Brahman is the 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 the, the I want to say the um, what's the opposite of concentrated diluted the diluted form of Bhagav, of Satchitananda. Krishna is the concentrated form of such a we can anyway we we may feel some some uh, regret in some sense but but um, I think that someone who has deep deep experience of what Chaitanya Mahaprabhu uh, offers, like Bhaktisiddhanta Sarasthi Thakur, they said that he couldn't tolerate the idea that people would get less than what Chaitanya Mahaprabhu came, came to give. So he made a strong advocacy. But from those deep uh, experiences and so forth, I think we can, we can st- make statements that may seem like extrigis- religious uh, extremism, but did not play out in that way in the person of Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur or in the person of Bhakti Vinod Thakur. Hmm. So, 
it's a problem. Hmm? It's a problem in the world, religious extremism. It's a problem in, in Gaudiya Vaishnavism. It may take a slightly different shape. We are, don't have, our members are not um, involved, as far as I know, I mean, in Gaudiya Vaishnavism, suicide bombing and and uh, but they do engage in, in terrorism hmm? um, often within the, within the community itself and with others outside of the of the community, and it's more of a mental harassment and uh, 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 abuse and so forth. But it is it's, it's definitely. Um, Terrifying, terrifying. <laughs> it's unfriendly. It's uh, it's uncomfortable. It's not it's not thought out and so forth. It's uh, there was a comic that I saw. Um, some of you may have seen it not long ago. It was a it was an alien spaceship, like a flying saucer, and a couple of um, aliens. If you want, <laughs> I mean, it's so weird from the from the Earth perspective. <laughs> aliens, and um, they're talking with one another, and there's some smoke and whatnot on earth and one says to the other one they're 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 fighting about uh which religion is more peaceful something like that they're fighting over which which religion is more peaceful <laughs> so uh this is uh, this is the idea right of terrorism which causes people not to be interested in religion at all and we find it also in in, in Gaudiya Vaishnavism and it's very unbecoming hmm, when it is expressed in a way that I just mentioned, that my rasa is the highest, my guru emphasized the Manjari Bhav. This is what the scriptures emphasize. And if if you're not uh, taking that up, you're, you're a real loser, you're, just, you're getting in the way, you should be. And we've heard things like this. And we admit it is, that this is the, high, this is the highest ideal. But I've given an example before, when when someone like Avaidi Bhakta, like Narada Muni, comes to Vrindavan, the gopis don't say, "Oh, some Vaidhi Bhakta's here, hmm, poor guy." Hmm. See if we can convert him to um, to Braj Bhakti so, or, or Uddhava, Uddhava, who came and spoke to them. Then they have regard for them. Hmm? This is the standard of Vrindavan. Hmm? Who has exclusive devotion to Krishna? Mahaprabhu, this is another example. Mahaprabhu advocates exclusive devotion to Krishna Nam, Krishna Nam Sankirtan, and what does he say is required for that exclusive devotion? Hmm? Exclusive devotion for Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is expressed in Shikshastakam in the words what? Who knows? Well, that's part of it, but where does he say exclusive devotion? Kirtaniya Sadahari, the end of the verse that you cited. Kirtaniya Sadahari. Hmm? This is like fixed, right? Always, you don't have time for anything else. Time only for bhakti. Hmm? And how you'll get there? He says, Trinada Pisanichana, Tarara Pisanichana. He's a call for tolerance. Hmm? A call for. Um, humility for honoring others, expecting no honor for oneself. Hmm. 
and indeed, as we really become exclusive members of 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 uh, Krishna Bhakti, exclusive and experiential members, we do honor people, and we tend to see some Krishna consciousness in everybody, and honor them for that, and gravitate towards that, and we see their dedication to something, another path, or to anything, and we think. If only I could apply the same effort to my bhakti. Hmm? And that way we tend to, to honor them. And respect. This is the real experience. In other words, the experience of exclusive devotion hmm, is an inclusive experience. Hmm? Prabhupada used to say, there's only Krishna consciousness. <laughs> like there's only all shine comes from the sun. So, hmm. different shapes, different forms of it, and, and so on and so forth. Hmm. Again, Vedanta Sutra says, all the names of the gods and goddesses are names for Krishna. Mahaprabhu said, every word in Sanskrit means Krishna. He has somehow explained like this to his students. He's seeing Krishna everywhere, especially in separation. It said in union there's one Krishna, in separation there's millions of Krishnas. Hmm? One seeing him everywhere, in everything. Hmm? Gopikas are honoring the trees, hmm? the earth, hmm? thinking that they have more devotion to Krishna than, than, than themselves. The trees are bending down a little bit by the burden of their branches, and from the gopis' view in which their bhava is projected onto the trees, they think the trees have more devotion than us. Hmm? They're not thinking, we are manjaris, you're only trees. Hmm? How unfortunate for you. So, the, 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 it's, it's beautiful that the exclusive devotion is an inclusive um, Experience, if you will, um, and, and and it's it turns into such that everything is a teacher, everything is is speaking to me about how to be a better devotee. Everything is obviously animate and inanimate ingredients of the world has more bhakti than myself. Hmm. So. Uh, there's, uh, there's quite a difference, anyway, between religious extremism, religious fundamentalism, which is a problem in the world today, and the uh, advocacy of exclusive devotion in general, as we spoke about, and the Ananya Bhakti, exclusive devotion of the Bhakti school um, itself. Any question? Yes. What is the, the goal of karma yogi, of karma yoga? The goal of karma yoga. What is the goal of karma yoga? The goal of karma yoga is jnana. Because karma yoga, knowledge, mystic knowledge, knowledge in the true sense of the term, sattva. Karma is under the influence of rajas. Karma means the interaction in the world, and the reason we interact with in the world is for to acquire, because there's the there's the sense that I'm lacking, and that by acquisition, 
I'll be I'll have more. I'll be more fulfilled. So karma is is a karma yoga, the karma path, the karma path, let's say, is the path of dharma is under the influence of rajaguna. Now when you take the path of karma and turn it into karma yoga, what makes it yoga is that you take the acquisition out of it. Now you're doing karma, but not for acquisition. Previously you were doing karma means you were, classically speaking, you were following the karma marg, worshipping the gods and goddesses because you wanted material fruits. Now you're doing the karma marg, but you're not interested in the fruits. And the fruits you're foregoing. You're doing the, the karmic marg, you're doing the, the duties uh, you know, enjoined in the scripture, classically speaking, um, for your um, particular, the, the correspond with your particular psychophysiological makeup, hmm? because it's ordained in the scriptures and should be done and so forth, but you're not doing it in order to attain anything materially. Hmm? And that uh, factoring in that detachment, well, this is sattva then. Hmm? Because in sattva gun, we're not, we're not in pursuit of material acquisition because sattva gun brings knowledge. And knowledge culminates in the understanding of the difference between matter and spirit. Hmm? Sattva is the intelligible aspect of nature. So what makes it intelligible? But What makes it knowable? There's something about nature that makes it knowable to a knower. Intelligibility. Material things have intelligibility. It's a kind of act, a non-action act. Do you understand? Hmm? So everything that exists does something, even if it just has a way of making itself known. We call that sattva. Hmm? Um, and properly known and understood, and we also understand the self, and so we differentiate between consciousness and matter. This is sattva guna. So, that's, and then the path of jnana. So the path of karma yoga is aimed. It's a kind of a. It's it's it is the path of jnana, but in the beginning, because the Gita teaches you cannot just stop from. The, you may not want the results of actions performed, but your tendency to perform the actions, nonetheless, is there as part of your psychological and physiological makeup. Hmm? So go ahead and perform them, hmm? but without attachment to the fruits, knowledge will come, and then interested in those, interested in those material propensities will also dissipate. And you can come to com- from active life to contemplative life in a natural way, in a healthy way. Hmm? Otherwise, I can't just tell you, stop doing all these things, sit down and be a contemplative. Hmm. But I can tell you, do the things that you do, but don't be attached to the fruits. Don't, don't be preoccupied with the ups and downs of material life, the gains and losses. There will be gains, there will be losses. Hmm? That's not why I'm I'm living in the world 
to avoid one and attain the other, but for knowledge of the self, experience of the self. So the goal of karma yoga is, yeah, it, it results in the ingress of, of mystic insight as to the nature of the self, because you're factoring the sattva in. Then sattva becomes prominent, and then the tendency to want to interact and uh, with the world and, and so forth is, is diminished. So classically speaking, the karma yogi is active in the world in a detached way, and the jnani is inactive and living a contemplative life. So there's a strong emphasis in the Gita on karma yoga because it's not easy to, to pursue the contemplative life. And if one tries to do it too soon, then hmm, they'll probably be unsuccessful. That's the goal of karma yoga. Now, there is karma yoga in which the fruits of one's work are offered to Vishnu. Hmm. And that can culminate in, in Vaidhi Bhakti. You can't come I mean, in Rag Bhakti, which is ex- which requires Mat Kripa, the mercy of a, of a Rag Bhakta. It's the only way. So there is. We we say that that pious works cannot give Bhakti. That's true. But but within the Karma Marg, even itself, there are some elements of Bhakti. Worship of Vishnu is part of the Karma Marg also. We say that that's what makes it efficacious. And from that, one can get some some footing in Vaidhi Bhakti. Dina Goswami makes this point at the end of the second chapter of Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, where Raghunuga Bhakti has been, Raghunuga Sadhana has been explained. Does that help? Yeah. yeah. It's only so much ego facing as it leads to sattva or jnana, knowledge, harmony. Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely ego-facing. Mm-hmm. Uh, because you're interacting with the world, but you're not caught up in it. You're, 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 not, you're not taking the bait, so to speak, speak. Now, this same principle of moving from karma yoga to jnana is operative within bhakti. So external bhakti and internal bhakti. From external bhakti, which is active, internal bhakti will come. So just to sit down and try to do internal bhakti, well, that's probably a recipe for problems. Therefore, the emphasis of bhakti vinod and bhakti sarasri and the example of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, his Madhya we, we talked about and the significance of that, he's active. He's traveling, he's meeting with uh, different leaders of society and different um, fields and um, exemplifying and teaching bhakti and so on and so forth. Public figure, kirtan, and after due course of this, he's, his internal life comes on. It's, he, I mean, it's an exa- he's setting an example. And then the Antilila, in the later part, the last 12 years of the Antilila, he's fully preoccupied with internal life, which is... Uh, a form of contemplative life. He wasn't preaching, he wasn't meeting with the public. Hmm. 
involved in public sankirtan and so forth. So to forego the sankirtan. And Bhaktisiddhanta Sarsatthaka would give a nice kind of, uh, if you will, uh, extended idea of kirtan. It's not very extended because in the Bhaktisiddhanta Sindhu itself, who is the devotee who exemplifies the, the possibility of becoming perfect by kirtan? It's not Nard with his vena? I'm joking. <laughs> right, it's it's Sukadev. People say, sometimes we hear this, this, that the problem is there's not enough kirtan. Hmm? Too many classes, but not enough kirtan. The person who became perfect by kirtan wasn't was Sukadev. He wasn't doing he wasn't doing public kirtan on the streets or anything of the sort. He was preaching the Bhagavatam to Prichard Maharaj. <laughs> so, kirtan is the way. Now, Mahabhu showed a certain type of kirtan in the public with um, uh, sankirtan and so forth. That's 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 true. But um, he also did his kirtan in private, not on the streets. And, And for entering into that, he showed a way, and the way included teaching groups and often converting this person and that person. Hmm? Uh, and his followers immediately they opened temples, the Goswamis, they were busy with these things, hmm? writing books, so on and so forth. So, and Bhaktisiddhanta Sarasitava, he this point is was a strong emphasis of his. And he wrote a poem, Vaishnav K. Who, 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 who was a Vaishnav? And he was addressing his mind, my dear mind, what kind of Vaishnav for you? Tumikisha Vaishnav. Hmm. Hmm. Um, you sit down in a solitary place just to imitate Haridas Thakur, but actually you're, you're preoccupied with something other than the chanting. You can't even focus on the chanting steadily, hmm. and so forth. And uh, and at the end of it, he says, "Kirtana prabhavi smarana swabhavi," the natural swabhav, uh, contemplation, meditation, mental absorption in one's swabhav. Swabhav here means one's spiritual nature, hmm? swarup, will come by the power of kirtan. Kirtana prabhavi by the power of kirtan, smarana swabhavi. It will come naturally. And to sit down and forego the kirtan in this active life. Therefore, Bhakti Vinoda wanted to start a mission, an active life, engage people, get them busy for bhakti. Hearing, chanting, sravanam, kirtanam, scrubanam, mapanam, <laughs> this type of thing. And um, by the force of this external bhakti, with a clear understanding theoretically of the goal and the ideal and where I am on the path and so forth. This will come, the capacity to enter into contemplative life. Hmm. So, Bhaktisiddhanta Sarasthaka, he wrote this poem after having sit, having sat for how long? He took a vow to chant, was it a billion names? 
nine years, nine years of solitary bhajan. After nine years of solitary, this is what he got up and wrote. So his preaching campaign came out of his bhajan rather than a preaching campaign brought him to his bhajan, which was his advocacy. So what was his position? And thus the force of his kirtan. It was very powerful. The kirtan of Bhakti Siddhanta Sarsi Thakur sent uh, waves throughout the Gaudiya and Hindu community. I mean, people opposed him, but um, because he was critiquing his own tradition, and he was very much uh, an enemy of of um, hypocrisy, especially in the name of of uh, following Mahaprabhu and pursuing experiencing the highest ideal and so forth. And he was novel in things that he uh, implemented and innovated his innovations and so forth. But um, this was with the a blessing and encouragement of Bhakti Vinod Thakur, who wrote him to, letter told him to do these kind of things. Um, that was like his Daiva Varnashram. Engage these Vaishnavs. Yes, they're all Nirguna, but they all still have their propensities. Engage them according to their propensities within the context of Bhakti. What's the idea? Uh, a novel idea of some type of Varnashram sensibilities within the context of bhakti. Hmm. Let some people be uh, um, write the books. Some people will build, be carpenters, build the temples, or masons, and so forth, according to their propensity. Some will some will be the the householders, where where the where the vaishyas, because they generated the funds for the mission and the. Uh, uh, only, only sannyasa, gay sannyasa, only to the Brahmins uh, of his. Anyway, it's not the ordinary Vaishnava idea, but the, the point is that he created this type of mission, and, and we see it, it, there was opposition to him, and he was an, a known, very much known <laughs> uh, figure, and he was, uh, his kirtan was very powerful, and it's reached beyond the subcontinent of India, as we know, here we all are, um, because of because of that. So that kirtan, as I say, came out of the contemplative life. Nine years of exclusive bhajan. And then he thought, what am I doing here? I should get up and do kirtan. I mean, his mind wasn't distracted. It's said that, that he, upon the completion of his vow, in the wind, a piece of paper blew in his vicinity, opened it up, and it it had what I think the it was the page from the Chaitanya Charitamrita with, with Mahaprabhu's instructions to Sanatana Goswami: establish temples, um, establish the Vaishnava achar behavior, um, write books on uh, uh, the teachings. What's the fourth thing? Hmm. Excavate the places of Krishna's Leela and so forth. You can't just sit down to do all those things. Some of them you have to do there involved writing. But so anyway, so he became active with the mission and advocated 
form of outreach that, that all was basically an engine of kirtan, this big, big drum, the printing press, and so forth, as a way to naturally enter into the contemplative life. So you see the, how it to carry over from the ideas of karma, nishkam karma, to gyan, from active life in bhakti to uh, inactive or external to internal life. So we should look for the progress in bhakti. It begins by Chaitra Dharpana Marjan. We should look for, for, for that. Losing interest and other such things. Interest in Krishna consciousness. And therefore time to spend for energy to spend on it. Because I'm interested in it. Hmm? And then your time and energy spent on that will beget it and cause it to grow. What else? Um, I keep stumbling on something and I can't quite put my finger on. In what some statements seems to seem to say that we should preach out of overflow, like you said, especially in the context of bhakti, because we're people who are in love, so we just talk about what makes us tick, and it's that kind of overflow. If somebody talks about God, it says something accurate, or they show some interest, and we share that. But then you just mentioned the example of Bhaktisiddhanta Sarasati Thakur, or Haridas Nityananda were proselytizing, they weren't just... They were going after people, and that's probably what, what I, the, the blind spot I have. I still can't quite grasp it. Which is it? <laughs> well, I think that um, that it's uh, it's both. Uh, both are really the same, um, and the idea being that if you're involved in bhakti, you're excited about it, and 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 you want to share it. Hmm? And you're going to share it in, in proportion to that which you you have. Um, compassion is certainly the quality of the Vaishnavas, hmm? and so they are naturally inspired hmm, to share. So if we can hone that uh, compassion that is that characterizes the Vaishnavansha Kalpatarugascha Kripasindubhyevacha. Then um, and can and cultivate that compassion. I think maybe that's the way um, to to look at it. Um, so uh, it uh, you know you could say overflow as opposed to prostitution, but I don't think that bhakti is without any overflow. And this is how to use the how to how to deal with the overflow. Hmm. It 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 caused the overflow causes some interest in sharing. I mean, I mean and you, nobody's what is it? No man, no woman is an island, something like that. So, um, what we're about, we naturally share. Now, that said, okay, that's one thing. You're an individual, but then, yes, uh, Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati formed a mission. And he looked at Western Christian missionaries advocating uh, Christianity, and he thought, let's do the same thing with Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's teaching. Let's share it. So a great person in the tradition, 
uh, had insight from coming from Bhakti Vinod to share it with the world, as Mahaprabhu felt, as expressed in the cortex, it should be distributed everywhere. How can I, Mahaprabhu says, how can I take advantage of all these fruits myself? I need help, uh, more people, so we need to distribute the fruits. Hmm. So it's there, the idea of um, sharing, of proselytization, as you could say, to some extent, but then it does, has to be done in such a way that you're actually sharing in a, in a way that constitutes uh, uh, the sharing of your own, at your own level of realization and so forth. Hmm? One shouldn't speak beyond their realization. Um, but, yeah, there is a difference between just it's kind of overflowing and systematically trying to Propagate, mm-hmm. use, uh, but I, I think in the case of Bhakti Siddhartha's I would idea was: look, use your mind and your intelligence to think of ways to explain this great teaching to others and share it to others. That will consume your mind more than if you go and sit in, in the jungle and just try to chant, understand what it's about, think about it, try to explain it, put it in your own language, and that will be. Um, helpful for you personally as a devotee, and it will be helpful for others. It said you chant it quietly, it's good for you, chant out loud, others may hear. So, really, in a sense, the outreach advocated by Bhaktisiddhanta Sarasthi Thakur may, one way to think about it is may look like an outreach to give it to the whole world, and it is, but in the context of that, it's to give it to yourself. Mm-hmm. Hmm? You, you do kirtan, hmm? and it would be good for you. And this is a way of doing kirtan that's very consuming. Hmm? Before you have taste for nam, to speak about the teachings and think, how am I going to explain that? Cause you to look more closely at the teachings, what the implications are, and so forth. And so one becomes... Absorbed, so it's you know, in one sense we we're doing kirtan for our for ourselves, for our own progress. Does that help? That part is clear, but then it stumbles into the initial statement of my uh, my path is perfect for me, and if if everybody's path is perfect for them, well, materialistic path is not perfect for anybody. <laughs> if you are on a path toward Brahman or Paramatma, you know in as many forms, or Bhagavan, that's one thing. But if you're on a path towards uh, you know, just sense intelligence, or so forth, that's no path at all. Mm. So It's one thing to meet somebody who has a strong sanskar for yoga, but most people only have a strong sanskar for, for sense indulgence mm. and materialistic pursuits. Not materialism, maybe as a philosophy, they haven't thought about it like that, but in terms of Consumerism, acquisition, and, and so forth. So, geez, you know, you, you're going like you know, in a, in a self-destructive mode. How can you know a person who has realized that not want to share with them? So, now that said, if, if they're already on a spiritual path or something, they want it. So that's another thing. Prabhupada was very inclusive in that sense. He said, well, any name of God you chant is good. You know? That's okay. You don't have to change your dress. That's, that's all fine. Mm-hmm. So.
Sometimes we preach, preach very broadly like that. Okay? All right. Sri Krishna Bhakti ki jai. Sri Sri Daji Gopal ki jai. Or Bhakti Bhandi. Or Premananda.